I will follow you. Lord, we want to thank you so much that you're worthy to be followed. And we pray in these next moments that as we continue to think about and imagine what it means to be on the way with Jesus, with you, that you would speak once again to our hearts and lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It was not good news for Jesus. It's not the kind of news that you'd want to get. Jesus, your cousin, John the Baptist, has been arrested. Now, if you remember last week, Pastor Eddie brought us into the desert with Jesus and the temptation, and he said that the desert was the place where we are prepared for something. Well, right away we see what Jesus is prepared for. He, he, he right away gets this news, comes out of the desert, and someone says, hey, you need to know, your cousin has been arrested. And then we see further what he's prepared for. Immediately we see it. He then, from that space, from that news, begins to launch his public ministry. And, and he begins to live out the call that was battle-tested. Hear that. It was battle-tested in the desert. He was thrust into the desert. That call was battle-tested. No doubt he was reminded of those words from the Father, you are my beloved Son, in whom I well, you, uh, whom I'm well pleased. Just right before the desert, and then being battle-tested, goes into this new stage. And he begins to become these words. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And then it says that from that moment on, Jesus began to preach. The inauguration of the kingdom of Jesus, the inauguration of, of everything that Jesus came to be and do as the king has begun. That's what's happening here. But something odd, very odd really, when you think about it, is about to happen. And it's really the first thing he does after he settles in the commercial center of Capernaum, after he starts preaching, preaching, it's like the first thing he does, and it is really kind of odd. Here it is. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The inauguration 
of the kingdom of Jesus. The inauguration of King Messiah has begun, but something odd just happened. And I don't know if you saw it. Did you see it? The reign of God through Jesus, the reign of God, of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was not ushered in by him alone. And it never was intended to be. Jesus is not interested in being a solo act. Jesus is the most un-American person you could imagine. He's not interested in a solo act. He has no place for ministry in life that is individualistic and independent and autonomous. If there was anyone, anyone, who could do it all on his own, make it all about himself, if there was anyone who we could say, that's the guy, he would be the guy, right? He would be the one. But we already saw him refuse that individualistic path when he was in the desert, and he, and he refused to do the spectacular, which would make it all about him. Later on, we see in Matthew 26 that if he wanted to, Scripture tells us that he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have taken care of all of this, taken the easy way out. He, he didn't. The one thing Jesus Christ refused to do was to make his kingdom an individualistic solo act. Hear these words. Verse 21. Jesus called them. Jesus called them. It literally means this. Jesus called them to something. Jesus called them to him, to himself. He called them to his way. Let's make sure we understand that his way is, his, is himself. He, he called them to that. Jesus is always calling. Read the Gospels and you see that as Jesus is going along, he's always calling people. There's a guy, a little guy up in a tree, right? Zacchaeus. Hey, Zacchaeus, come on down, right? Come on down from that tree. You're, you're running from God and you're running, from, but you're curious. You're, you're at a distance. No one wants you around, but I want you. And then he walks up to a, another tax collector probably a very successful tax collector, the author of this gospel, Matthew, he walks up to his desk and says, you, despised of everyone, you, come follow me. And he's doing that over and over and over and over again in the gospels. So Jesus was on his way in our passage. He's walking along. And here's something I think we need to consider. I'm not so sure there is some great divine strategic effort here to specifically target Simon and Andrew. You don't have to agree with me on that. But I wonder if he's just looking for the kind of folks who are like busy preparing their nets. They're caught up in doing what they think is the normal, daily, even important things of life. But he's looking for people right where they are and right in the middle of what they're doing. People who just are receptive. It seems to me like Jesus is walking along and looking for those most receptive, most willing to join him 
without hesitation. Verse 20 says, at once they left their nets and followed him. At once. So he's looking for the receptive. But here's a second thought. How interesting is it that the king of kings, the one who's established his kingdom, inaugurating it, is not interested in making sure the people he called were the brightest and the best. He, he really isn't calling the most influential. He, he wasn't looking for the funniest or the most charismatic. He's not looking for the best organizers, the best strategists, the best preachers, even the best leaders. He was not interested in their charm or their ability to sway the crowd or to raise money. He was just look at who he called. They were casting a net, verse 18 says, into the lake. They were fishermen. Get the picture. Look at their hands. They probably have burns on them from the ropes. How would you like to smell their garments? My guess is probably smells whatever the catch of the day was, right? These aren't the people that you put in front of everyone and say, look at those guys, be like them. These were not among the powerful or the elite. They were not the hobnobbers and the famous. They were not celebrities or even considered in their own day. They weren't considered the super religious stars of their day. And some things don't change. Paul wrote these words about his friends at the church in Corinth. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Just stop there for a moment. If you are on the way with Jesus, I want you to ask yourself that. What was I when I was called? Think of what you were when you were called. Think of that. He goes on. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose. We need to let that settle in upon us. He chose and always chooses ordinary people, broken people, the least expected people. And so you see, we are the choosee. He chooses. Think with me. Jesus said it this way later on in John 15, 16, some of my favorite words. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then he makes an amazing claim that you can ask whatever you want in my name. Let's remember when we start asking things in Jesus' name, that changes the asking, right? But hear it. Jesus himself said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. What did I choose you? I chose you to go bear fruit. There's something about this idea that God chose us. A voice from another day is a man by the name of Bob Benson. 
be worth every penny you could put together to buy his book that him and his son put together after he died of cancer in 1986. It's called See You at the House. Be worth every penny to get that book. Just his stories. But he writes these words. Fortunately, my being chosen does not grow out of me. I am the choosy. He saw me. He called me. He selected me. He picked me out. He decided on me. He chose me. He did not refuse me. He did not reject me. He did not dismiss me. He did not exclude me. He did not ignore me, disregard, cast away, throw aside, or leave me out. He chose me out of his devotion, fondness, adoration, tenderness, affection, attachment, emotion, sympathy, empathy, and love. He just chose me. And that has made all the difference in my life. My friends, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what journey you've been on your life. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done. It doesn't matter whether or not you're walking with Jesus or not. He chose you. You see, I think we have it a little off. That's not how we think of following Jesus today. We think of choosing to follow him on our terms. We think, well, you know what, if I follow Jesus, and unfortunately, unfortunately, sometimes in an attempt to share the gospel, sometimes we in the church have looked at people and said, you know, God has this amazing plan for your life if you would just follow Jesus. But that's not what it's about. We think if we would just weigh out the benefits and we see, well, this is really beneficial for me, so I am going to choose to follow Jesus. We, out, we weigh it out. And then we decide if this is what we want, if we think this is the best thing for us. But this is not about choosing to follow Jesus. This is recognizing that you and I have already been chosen. Hear that. We have already been chosen. This is about living into God's choice. This is about living into his calling. So when we come to this place of faith and we place our lives into his life, we call it salvation. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're saying, Lord, we're responding to what you've already chosen for me. Because that's what he's chosen for all of us. That's what he wants for all of us. So we live into his calling right where you are, right where you are mending the nets, right where you are casting the nets as you fish. You see, fishing looks different for different folks. It may be in the sales meeting. It may be in the college classroom. It may be in the doctor's office. It may be in the engineering room. It may be in the school hallway. 
It may be the construction site, the business trip, or the kitchen table. It may be at church or at home or at work. But right there, Jesus is walking by every day. And he's calling. He's calling you. He's choosing you. He's looking for you. He's wanting you. He's yearning for you. Yes, that's Jesus calling. He is calling us to a new identity. He's calling you and me to a new identity as he walks by. These disciples, what did they do? They left their families. We read those words. Whenever we read in the Gospels about, about disciples leaving family, we think that's unconscionable. In some ways, in some ways, we have elevated family to the place of God sometimes. But we hear these words, these strange words, that these two young men, James and John, left their father behind to tend the nets. That sounds like, to me, grounds for eternal grounding of them as sons, right? But that's what we see happening here. Now, that does not suggest they never went home again because we later see that all the disciples gathered at Peter's mother-in-law's house. But this is what it tells me. It tells me they were all in. See, that's what it's about. They're all in. And you know what? Sometimes when you go all in with Jesus, you do leave relationships behind. When I went all in with Jesus, there were some friendships I had I could no longer have. That wasn't because they were bad people or I was better than them, but they were destructive to my life. Sometimes you go all in with Jesus. When we went all in with Jesus, we had family members saying, what are they doing? What cult have they joined? Jeff's gone crazy. And we're not making that up. So there is that place of this call. It's not about leaving family. It's about being all in. And so we see that they were all in. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him, it says in verse 22. See, our prime identity motivates us. It changes us. It guides us. And it ultimately defines us. But that's not the identity as a religious person or a churchgoer or even the label Christian. Because we all know plenty of people, maybe even ourselves at times, who have claimed those identifying labels without Christ-like evidence. Those labels are not our identity. This is intended to be our identity that God chooses for us. Follower of Jesus. Follower of Jesus. I've been thinking about that more and more. Follower of Jesus. What were you when you were first called? He's calling us to a new identity. He's also calling us to a new vocation. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean a different line of work or a place of employment or different school, but it is a call to a different priority. And we get a glimpse of that in verse 23. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing. That's what happens right after he calls these disciples. The question I ask is, if this is the way of Jesus, 
then isn't this to be our way? We are called as followers to be partners with God in bringing the good news of Jesus to our world, the healing grace of Jesus to our world, the redeeming presence of Jesus to our world. So wherever we find ourselves, these are the basic goals. And so the question is, is are they mine? Those are the goals of the king, the king's goals. Are they mine? Am I a healing and redeeming presence? Let that sit with you. I'm trying to let that sit with me these days. Am I a healing and redeeming presence with my life? How am I representing the one I follow in this? You see, the Apostle Paul described it this way. Another key verse. From Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, says Paul is making his argument of the vanity of religion for religion's sake. He says this, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts, it's an accounting term. The only thing that matters, the only thing that we can measure that will have substance to it is faith expressing itself through love. What does that look like for my life? It'll look different for yours, it'll look different for mine, but what does it look like for my faith to express itself through love? And then lastly, he is calling us to one decision as we saw last week, the desert, the wilderness places of life are places where we often simplify. It takes us back to the basics. And the truth is, let's just be honest, we often complicate what Christianity is about with the way we think about it sometimes. But it's really not that complicated. Now don't be fooled by that statement. That does not mean it's a place of ease. It is not about simply supporting the ideas of Jesus, though. It's not about just simply being a supporter of the notion of Jesus or just labeling myself Christian. The demands are great here. These are great demands. It's demanding. So let's not confuse nominal or religious support for Jesus with the real thing. Let's not confuse living a life with Jesus that just kind of fits into my schedule and to my life. Being a supporter is nice. We all need supporters. Being a supporter is nice. But as others have said, we're not called to be supporters of Jesus. We are called to be activists of the kingdom. Think about that. We are called to be people who are more than supporters. People who live out this way Charles Cousar said, the message of God's reign is not for the tentative and indecisive because it necessitates wholehearted allegiance. And he says, it's really seen in the severing of old relationships and securities, following Jesus. Think about these two sets of brothers that we have here, Simon, Andrew, James, John. Think about what they did. Think about what decision they made. Mark Abbott said they made a keystone decision. This one decision made other decisions very easy to make. It doesn't mean that the decision to leave their nets, to walk away from financial security, because they did, and a way of life that was familiar to him was not hard. It's not saying it wasn't hard. 
But a keystone decision sets the priority for all other decisions. A keystone decision sets the priority for all other decisions that pale in comparison to that one decision. So I guess we all need to do that, don't we? And in some ways, today as a congregation, we even find ourselves there. As we release Pastor Mike and Tori to the Keene congregation, we all face this keystone decision. Every one of us, including them. In a sense, we all need to leave our nets behind. Whether our nets are our careers or our aspirations or our hopes or our expectations or our disappointments. In a sense, we all need to leave those nets behind. We need to drop our nets and remember the keystone decision of all of life. Come, follow me. Say that with me. Come, follow me. There's no one else to follow. That is what Jesus says. Follow him. Saying yes to that. So we know some things now. We know God is calling us to follow him. We know God is calling us to follow his way. We know God is calling us to be like Jesus and how we serve and love and treat and speak and care for one another. We know God is calling us to seek to be unified in Jesus together. We know that God is calling us to share his hope wherever we find ourselves. So, so no matter what changes, this does not change. Come, follow me. He walks into wherever we find ourselves. He walks alongside us wherever we're going. Jesus is walking with us, and as he's walking with us every single day, he says, come, follow me. Don't think for a moment that this is just a one-time decision where you go, you know what, I, I'm going to choose to be a follower of Jesus. I think I'm going to decide to follow Jesus. We're going to sing that at the end. Great song. I've decided to follow Jesus. But this isn't a one-time choice. This isn't an annual choice. This isn't an occasionally when the sermon is inspiring choice. This isn't going to the altar one time and just taking care of business choice. This is an every single day. Jesus walking alongside us by the presence of his spirit saying, come, follow me. Jeff, come, follow me. Karen, come, follow me. Tom, come, follow me. Jim, come, follow me. Barb, come, follow me. Brian, come, follow me. Every day. Every day. Follow him. Something Beth Moore wrote has captured my heart. It's lengthy, but very worthwhile. And as soon as we're done looking at this, as I read this, the worship team will come forward and we'll close. But listen to her words. I was interceding for some people enduring enormous challenges. Missed a slide there. I rejected again, I reflected again on the sobering truth that a substantial part of our walk with God involves our faith being tested. We romanticize the fierce faith of those early followers of Jesus, but the high likelihood is that much of the time 
they were doing the very same thing we're faced with doing. Resolving to believe God, period. And take him at his word, even when circumstances beg to differ. They determined to believe what God said about himself over what they felt. I love this next line. There's not a trick to faithfulness. No trick. There are not certain genetics that make some people predisposed to it. There's not a formula that would take all angst out of this walk. There's no one-time decision that would guarantee no future crisis will quake the ground beneath our feet. There's just the choice. The unromantic choice, sometimes the hard choice, but always the good choice, the right choice. My God is true, right, faithful. I choose today, this time and place, this circumstance, this season, this crisis, to place my faith in Him and be faithful. She goes on and says, And when we see the glorious face of Jesus, we will understand. All the puzzle pieces will come together and we will see how he indeed kept all his promises when we were tempted to believe some fell to the floor and shattered. And he will be so worthy of our eternal hallelujahs. Amen. Jesus said, Come, follow me. And at once, they followed him. Jesus is walking alongside you wherever you find yourself today. What are the nets in your life that you need to lay down? He's calling you. Come, follow me. What do you need to choose today? in response to his choice of you. Come, follow me. And at once, they let down their nets and they followed him. May we do the same. Let's stand together, shall we? There is one thing to do. As we go from this place, let us go. Follow him. In Jesus' name, amen. Greet one another in his name as you go. God bless you. You're dismissed.